As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So, Mike, we have a new season launching next week. That's right, we do. And it's called Antitrust. That is also correct. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to be taking a look at the good, the bad, and the ugly of technology and examining the potential effects of our attempts to rein in some of the largest companies' global influence. That's right. It's clear that we're in the middle of this cultural transformation, right? And while this has been brewing for some time, in the last five years, we're really seeing the effects come to the surface of society. The trust in our systems and societal foundations are clearly broken as technology has advanced at a speed that's just far faster than any of us could have imagined. And that actually brings us to today's episode. Do you remember hearing about the Firestone Tire recall of 1978? Michael, how old do you think I am? <laughs> 
I don't know, old enough to possibly remember? Well, I, listen, I wasn't born for another, I don't know, three years uh, after that had happened, but Firestone is an Ohio-based company, so I actually do kind of remember hearing some things about that way after the fact. Okay, okay. So, well, same here. I, I wasn't around, um, but uh, our guest today was, and he remembers it well because... He was actually the reason why it happened. Interesting. Okay. Well, I guess this is a product podcast, so... Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he also went on to have a long and still ongoing career in consumer advocacy and protection. Things that, as product people, we should be aware of, but we often overlook if we're honest. Yeah, that's probably fair. All right. Well, I am excited for this, Michael. I say, let's get right into it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. All right, so our guest today is Adam Levin. That's the Maroon 5 guy, right? Um, no, no, I don't mean the star <laughs> of The Voice. Oh, darn it. Okay, I thought we were going in a whole different direction here. No, but this is the uh, the other Adam uh, Levin, I guess, to, to the Adam Levine. Um, but he is the author of Swiped and the co-host of What the Hack? with Adam Levin. All right. Well, that makes a little more sense. Yes. So um, back to that Firestone case that we mentioned, and then we'll move into his his work uh, today because he's had almost 40 years working in consumer advocacy. So uh, we're going to take kind of a product perspective of this, but let's rewind the clock back to 1978. One reason Firestone's new 40,000-mile steel radial 500 is too much tire to turn down has to do with this and this. At steady highway speeds, compared to our original equipment belted bias tire, the steel radial 500 can give you up to 30 extra miles per tank full. Firestone proved it. Gas and money savings, another reason that I was the head of uh, the New Jersey Division of Consumer Affairs, which is part of the Department of Law and Public Safety, which is the Attorney General's department in the state. I served from May of 1977 through January of 1982. Uh, so, uh, in the year in question, which I believe is a little foggy, around 1978, I got a call from the first assistant attorney general who said to me that uh, his wife was very concerned about a tire they had on their car and that uh, she felt that there might be something more than just an issue of consumer carelessness, which was what Firestone was saying at the time. And so he asked me if we could check the files at Consumer Affairs to see exactly what was up. So I contacted the Office of Consumer Protection, which was part of my 28 bureaus, and I asked them what their files were on Firestone. And they came back with the fact that they had started receiving some complaints uh, about the tire, and they related to the same kinds of issues, which was that the binding was uh, loosing and blowing, uh, blowing apart, and as a result, uh, cars were spinning and tires were disintegrating and it was not a good scene. Okay, wow. This actually sounds like a real mess. Yeah, people couldn't even make it to their curbside burger joints in their Chevy Impalas. But um, anyway, Adam started working the case. Okay, this is really fascinating. So then what happened next? At one point, an executive from the tire company flew all the way to New Jersey and threatened the attorney general and I. 
and we just said, stand in line. We get threatened every day. This is what this is what we do. We're here to protect the public. And he went on to testify in front of the National Highway Traffic Safety Board and testified in front of Congress and found several thousand cases in New Jersey alone. Ultimately, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration imposed a $500,000 fine on Firestone for selling Firestone 500 steel-belted radials, which the company knew to be defective because they failed to comply with the high-speed requirement of the Safety Standard 109. That is a mouthful, um, but basically Firestone was knowingly selling products that weren't up to par. Firestone announced that it would recall the 5 million Firestone 500 and related steel belted radials made after the cutoff date for the earlier recall. So then in the spring of 1980, we kind of close the chapter of of this uh, recall and Firestone decided to fire almost all of their top management and completely change guard. So, Michael, was this malicious on Firestone's part? It wasn't found to be, but again, they did replace most of the management team, so who knows? Adam, even after 50 years of fighting for consumer rights against large corporations, maintains a fairly positive outlook on the people within those companies doing the actual work. Any business you have, there will be some people that play the system and they're bad people. But the overwhelming majority of people in a lot of businesses are really good people. And they're just trying to do the right thing. They're trying to do the honest thing. And they're also just trying to make a living. And, and, and the problem is that they get tarred with the same brush as the, the bad actors do. And that's not, un, that's not fair. And, you know, my position when I was the head of consumer affairs is, look, we are here as much for the protection of legitimate businesses are as we are for the protection of consumers. Bad actors in any industry uh, are no good for anybody. And, uh, and as a result, uh, anything that we can do to kind of root them out. And New Jersey, we had a very active consumer complaint line and we had a very active investigative wing and we looked into the complaints that we would get and some were baseless. Uh, some were uh, definitely the real deal and they, they had to be acted on. And it's all about moving decisively, fairly, but decisively. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att. That's business.att.com. So before the break, we explored the Firestone Tire recall of 1978. So let's fast forward to the 1990s, where Adam is starting a new company, still focused on consumer protections, but this time working in the credit industry. We also get to hear a little piece of internet history here. Well, I, I had two companies, both of which I've sold, one in 2015, credit.com. We were one of the first online financial services, credit advocate, uh, educator, and uh, products and service site. 
uh, a matter of fact, we got the domain credit.com by swapping a hard drive for it back in 1994. So that was that was pretty exciting because I had an operating partner who came to me and said, you know, we were going to do this infomercial, but there's this new thing called the internet, and it might work. I guess he was right about that.、Uh, certainly, Credit Karma proved in the in the credit space that he was right about that.、Uh, and then in 2003,、uh, I started a company at that time called Identity Theft 911, and the the name of the company、uh, evolved over time from Identity Theft 911, where I was told by several of our clients it was scaring their customers half to death.、Uh, To IDT 911, which then people said, "Is that an alarm company or a phone company?" And then when we went global a few years ago, we became Cyber Scout, and we, we were in the U.S., Canada, the EU, Asia, Malaysia, and starting to move into Latin America. Swapped a domain name for a hard drive. That is pretty wild. Yes, and a pretty good domain name at that. So Adam built two of the largest consumer protection companies in the internet age: Credit.com and CyberScout. And when he started out in identity theft, it was thought that the actual institutions were the victims, not necessarily the individuals who were having their identity stolen, because it was the institutions that would have to pay up when these things happen. We were most likely the first company, I think, if you look back in history. Starting in 2003 and 4, that was created with a core competence of basically putting people back together again after they become victimized、uh, by identity thieves. And in those days, in 2003,、uh, the victim was not considered a victim; the institution was considered a victim. The bank, or you know, the retailer, whoever, they were the victim. Uh, and I remember when we had a, our meeting, our first meeting with a big insurance company, and we ultimately became a major player in the insurance industry, sitting behind,、uh, depending upon the day, anywhere between two hundred fifty and four hundred、uh, major uh, insurance companies.、Uh, they said, "Why is this our problem? We didn't create that. It's, it's the bank's problem. They should be worried about it." And now the the you know the biggest players in the identity protection. And risk mitigation space are obviously insurance companies, and insurance is really based on mitigation of risk. But what was really interesting was how he talked about the scams themselves. It's true. We often think of these scams as getting more and more sophisticated as the years go on, and more people catch on to a particular angle. And in some ways, they do get more sophisticated in terms of the technology and their reach. But as Adam points out here in the next clip, a lot changes, but a lot stays the same. We see, in terms of the scams, that it's it's like it's the same song, but the words are updated. The style of the music is updated, but a lot of it is based on human error. A lot of it is based on social engineering. Unlike the old days when they would do these massive、uh, spam distributions of things, hoping to catch. A certain percentage of people to buy into it, and they would steal money from them. Now they're much more targeted, and they're they're going after, as we say, one to many, which is you know why go after ten thousand consumers individually when you can go after an institution and get your hands on the personal identifiable information of millions of people, and 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 we've also seen the attacks 
evolve as well to now ransomware is one of the is one of the real big uh, problems in the world today and it's a worldwide problem and even ransomware has morphed because in the old days it was like we come we freeze your computer we tell you that you owe us a certain amount of bitcoin we even tell you where to get the bitcoin we have a customer service department that will help you get the bitcoin and then once you pay the bitcoin we'll just simply go away because there is honor among thieves uh, but what's happened is it's morphed to the point now where we lock your computer. If you don't pay us, we're going to release all kinds of information. Oh, you did pay us. Well, we still might release all kinds of information. So now we want you to pay us more. And then, oh, by the way, we're going to go to all of your customers and say, hey, if you don't want your personal identifiable information released, you can pay us too. Uh, you know, plus ransomware has also evolved into... Um, malware as service, which is where someone will develop it and then they will create the equivalent of an affiliate network, either by open advertising on the dark web or using existing relationships and say, okay, you guys carry out the attacks, but we want a certain percentage based on whatever you make. So it's kind of like the Cosa Nostra theory. All right, let's pause here for a quick break. So before the break, we heard about a few of the different types of identity theft attacks and how they're actually carried out. Now, there are many flavors of hackers, as Adam identifies. We're up against a weaponized, well-armed, persistent, creative, and sophisticated enemy. And, you know, whether it's a state-sponsored hacker, and they are sort of the deadliest when it comes to all the different things that we face, just in terms of our checkbook, overturning our life, things like that. There's the for-profit hackers, a fairly dangerous group too, depending upon what they're looking for. Uh, the, the, the cause hackers, like some people felt that the attack on Sony had to do with North Korea being upset about the movie. Uh, not to mention the fact that North Korea is, has made this a cottage industry where they attack, look for ransomware, or look to sell data, and then they use that money to finance their operations. And then there's the because I can hacker, or as uh, our former president used to say, the 400-pound hacker is sitting on a mattress in his mother's basement in New Jersey. Uh, but, you know, the truth is... Whatever reason puts you into the crosshairs of any of these people, you have to take it seriously. And you have so many people that sit there going, why would anyone care about me? I'm just a regular brother. You look in the mirror, you see you. When a hacker looks at you, they see Beyonce, Jay-Z, Adam Levine, you name whatever superstar, that's what they see. Because you have what they want. You have data, you have financial information, or... What a lot of people don't realize, you are the conduit to a much larger river. Uh, so when they attacked Target, they didn't attack Target. They basically social engineered their way into the HVAC subcontractor for Target and used that subcontractor's access into the Target systems to crawl into Target. And that's what and that's why you see so many instances now where businesses are hacked or uh, data is compromised, not because of the business that is the primary uh, point of contact with the consumer, but it's 
one of the subcontractors or contractors uh, who has been breached, uh, just like, for instance, SolarWinds. SolarWind was all about hacking a company that had a platform and software that was used by thousands of companies. And what they did is they infected it. And every time someone did an update, they were effectively updating their systems with the malware that was put in there by the Russian hackers. He did really name drop Adam Levine and Maroon 5 in there, didn't he? <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> also, there's really no way for a data to be safe online, is there? Between the different types of hackers and the fact that a large number of the examples he gave came from the governments themselves, to the third-party software being hacked to spread malware all into the systems that leverage software, as a consumer, it definitely feels overwhelming to try to keep up with all of it. Yeah, it, it really is. And so... Um, I don't know. I, I just had to ask Adam, what was his favorite hack um, from from his years, uh, the last, I guess, uh, 30 years or so working in the identity theft? Well, we have we have a couple. Uh, you know, one is a fellow that was um, uh, trolling QAnon sites. <laughs> and and, you know, all of a sudden he is contacted by someone and uh, presented with a photograph that was never posted online. It was a photograph and it wasn't a compromising photograph. It was just a simple photograph uh, that his wife had sent him uh, just between the two of them. Uh, but it was a message. And the message is if we know who you are and at any moment we can come after you if, if, if we want to. And then we had uh, one with a guy who is a, a journalist who covered Afghanistan and Iraq as part of his uh, portfolio, as it were, who uh, gets a hack and receives this. Uh, it was really spam, but you never know for sure if it is, uh, saying that we know that you visit sites that are a little off color. And uh, unfortunately for you, we were there. And we uh, had malware on that particular website. We then took control of your camera. We also took control of your email. And uh, we not only saw what you were looking at, but we saw what you were doing as you were looking at it. And we have a split screen video ready to go to send to the contacts in your email list. So you can believe us and send us a few thousand dollars, or if you need proof, we'll just send this to a few of your family and friends. Uh, maybe that will inspire you. Or if you just say we should, you know, go away, no problem. We'll send it to every contact on your email list. And of course, what's so interesting about this is I'd received about 40 of these. Uh, I was on one, uh, doing one interview with the radio station, the station manager walked in and she said, Oh, I've received 10 of these too. Uh, but what they're counting on is that everyone at some point visits some site like this and they can't remember what they visited, when they visited, what they saw, what they didn't see. And so panic takes over because all of these different scams are based on panicking people, whether everything from a COVID update to a COVID tracking issue to something about vaccine, to something about 
um, you want to rent something and you need it now. It's all about urgency and getting people to do something they wouldn't ordinarily do, but there's something else they want or don't want. And as a result, they'll do anything in order to make it go away. And of course, my, my point with the, the, the with our friend who had the pornography issue is that uh, bottom line, it's 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 attacking everyone. Number one, number two, and they'll they know you'll do anything in order to avoid embarrassing yourself uh, beyond. The, the what's going on in your mind as to how you embarrassed yourself if you did what they said you what they did. Okay, that is a doozy for sure. Yeah. So, I don't know. That just about wraps up uh, this episode. A huge thanks to Adam Levin. Um, if you're interested in learning more about uh, some of the work that he does, you can listen to his podcast at What the Hack. And like we mentioned, we'll be kicking off season 11 next week, the season we're calling Antitrust. And we're going to be looking at the good, the bad, and the ugly of the tech industry and examining some of the potential effects that the government's attempt to rein in the largest company's global influence will have. Speaking of antitrust, be like Zuckerberg and cover your microphone and camera on your computers, folks. Yeah, it's actually not bad advice. It, it may actually help you depersonalize your Facebook and Instagram ad feeds and, um, you know, do it on your phone as well. Uh, that's a good point. Let's let's keep the FBI man in the dark. <laughs> That's right. So until next time, we're Mike Belsito. I'm Michael Saka, and this is Rocketship.fm. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network, and if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.